This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, good morning, Anchor Church. Great to see you here today. My name is Matt, lead pastor here at Anchor. If I've not met you before, if this is your first time we're visiting, welcome. It's great to see you here today. We're going to be preaching, as James mentioned, on the topic of singleness. And I'm kind of nervous because I spent all of last night reading blogs about people whose pastors preached horribly insensitive sermons on this topic. So um, I feel like I'm going to step on a landmine. So pray for me. Um, and I'm going to do that right now and pray as, uh, as we come before God in His Word together. So let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are real. We thank You that You're there. We thank You that You love us. And we thank You that irrespective of our life circumstance, irrespective of the season that we're in, Your commitment to us does not waver or wane or weaken, but that You love us with the love that extended across this universe in Christ. Father, this morning we pray as we sit humbly under your word, you would speak to us, you would challenge us by your spirit, and you'd help us to figure out what it looks like to live lives that honor and please you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. I don't know if you've um, spent much time trying to think about um, movies or um, pop references or music that paint singleness in a positive light. It's actually very difficult to do. I was trying to find an illustration this morning and all I could find were negative ones like the movie 40-year-old version. If you've not seen that movie before, the premise of the whole movie is... The uh, three friends, and they have one friend who is 40 and is a virgin, and they look upon him with shameful pity that he is missing out on fulfillment and personhood and all of these things. And the whole movie is really about them trying to get their mate to hook up so that he can experience life to the full, whatever that really means. And sadly, that's the narrative of our culture, of almost every movie, of almost every TV show, of almost every pop song that has ever been written is that you find your complete whole personhood in another person and in particular in some version of fulfillment of sexual intimacy, romanticized intimacy. Sadly, sometimes that's also true in the church. And so this morning, what we're going to do is look at God's vision for singleness. Now, um, I realize the irony of being married and preaching on singleness, and so really my aim this morning is to get through this as, as quickly as I can and get Hope Miles on stage with me to share some of the Q&A um, so that we can have some credible answers on these things. But um, I may not be single now. I was in the past. Uh, I might be in the future, uh, but now I'm, I'm married. I've been married to Tash for 10 years. But I, I want to suggest that doesn't mean I'm unqualified to speak on this topic. Uh, what it means is that I need to do the hard work of understanding and communicate this with empathy and care. Um, but my aim this morning is actually to preach the Bible, to, to tell you what God says about marriage and singleness in the hopes that that would encourage you wherever you are in your journey and encourage us as a church to be the type of church that God wants us to be. Now, the reality is that um, every single person here needs to hear this message. This is not just a sermon for single people. If you're married and in this room, you need to hear this message. And the reason you need to hear that is because at some point in the future, you will be single again, or at least one of you in your marriage will be single again at the death of a spouse. And we certainly hope not, but the, the possibility of divorce is there as well. And so you need to hear this as a, as a married person because 
This may prepare you for a season ahead. And additionally, I think you need to hear this. Uh, This has been helpful for me to hear as a married person so that you can understand what it's like for some other people in our church. And I think uh, a sermon like this, my hope is it will help us be a a better church, a more healthy church that is uh, welcoming and celebrating of people of no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. The second thing to say is that Um, everyone experiences their singleness differently and there are lots of different types of singleness. And so some of you here this morning are single and you're willingly single. You've chosen to be single. For whatever reason, you have chosen not to pursue marriage. Others of you, who, and so that may not mean that you don't have those desires, that you don't have desires for sexual intimacy. All of that may still be there, and yet you choose to pursue a life of singleness. For some of you, you are unwillingly single. You don't want to be single. You're actively pursuing a relationship and marriage, and your hope and prayer is that God would bring someone into your life that you can uh, marry. Some of you are single and have never been married. Some of you are single and have been married and are now divorced. And some of you, although I don't think anyone here currently is single and widowed, although we did have someone, Viv Leishman, whose husband passed away, sadly. Uh, and so singleness isn't just the you know late 20s person who's single. It, singleness is different for different types of people. And every single person experiences their singleness differently. Additionally, you may also be single because of an unwanted same-sex attraction, and that is a whole other category of singleness um, that, um, that is real for people in our church as well. And so the point is that this isn't a simple issue. It's not a simple issue, and it can't be met with simple answers. And so my hope is this morning, as we wrestle what is a complex issue, I can lay some baseline foundations for this, and we can figure this out as a community together. But I want to start by saying emphatically that singleness is good. Singleness is good. We saw that in the reading that James read for us. The context of this church that Paul writes to is a church that um, is very confused when it comes to sex, marriage, and singleness. In the the context of first century Rome, um, there was this teaching that the physicality of who we are is bad. So for some people that meant that um, the physical you is bad, that means pleasure is bad, that means sex and relationships ought to be shunned, including sex with inside marriage. There were certain people in this church that were teaching abstinence within marriage because it was bad. Others said, because it's all bad and the body's bad and it's going to be destroyed, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body, so be with whoever you want, sleep with whoever you want, do whatever you want. Both of those things are unhelpful ways of reading who we are as people. And into this context, Paul um, is also speaking about a crisis that is occurring in this church. And the crisis is probably a famine or a drought. And so um, this church is really messed up for a number of reasons. And Paul is seeking to speak into this with pastoral sensitivity about singleness and marriage. Now, to be fair... This chapter is very confusing. I mean, I, I was just sitting down there with Hope after the first service going, I don't, I'm not even sure I really understand half the stuff in this passage. It is confusing, but I think the big idea is clear. And the big idea that Paul is trying to communicate is this. Singleness is good. In fact, it's Paul's preference as evidenced by his own life. That is the choice that he personally made to be obedient to Jesus and to serve him as a single man. Equally, marriage is good. 
Paul doesn't forbid those within the church from being married or pursuing marriage or being engaged. His encouragement in this time of crisis is to remain as you are. Don't enter in to a season of significant life change and upheaval in a moment of drought and famine and disaster and crisis. So the point is, both of these are good things, and my encouragement for you, church in Corinth, is to stay the way you are and pursue God wholeheartedly. That's what he's trying to communicate in chapter 7. And so he offers liberating freedom for people. Chapter 7, verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if you are betrothed, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Paul is saying that both marriage and singleness are good, viable, and valuable options to live out your humanity and to live out your faith and your Christianity. Singleness is good. That needs to be said, and it's almost strange that it needs to be said. But it needs to be said for a number of reasons, and the first is that it needs to be said because what is often inadvertently communicated is that singleness is bad, or that singleness is um, you're kind of on the, the bench waiting to get in the game, all of those kinds of things. The second reason that it needs to be communicated is that often singleness doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like a gift that God gives. It doesn't feel like a good season. But Paul categorically says that both of those things are true. So come back to chapter 7, verse 6 and 7 with me. This is what Paul says. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself, as I myself am, that is, single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another kind. Now what he's saying there is that both singleness and marriage are a gift. The gift is not some special, superhuman, special ability to be single, right? That's not what he's talking about. And I think we, mistake, we mistakenly say that there is this special gift of singleness or a special gift of celibacy. What Paul is actually saying is that both marriage and singleness are gifts from God. And the gift is the season or the circumstance, not necessarily the relationship status. But the challenge is, how do you live when it doesn't feel good, when it doesn't feel like a gift? It may say it's a gift in the Bible, but my experience is that it's not. Now, we know that Paul views, marriage, uh, views singleness as an advantage for himself. He says that he wishes people would pursue this so they could have undivided devotion to the Lord. Singleness has afforded Paul the opportunity to participate in God's mission in a way that he wouldn't have been able to do if he was married. There are some advantages to singleness. There are some unique blessings. But it's not the whole story, and Paul doesn't claim it's the whole story here as he discusses the differences between singleness and marriage. He is saying that both singleness and marriage are different, and both of them have their unique blessings and their unique challenges. For example, the unique challenges of singleness might be a higher, um, uh, a higher risk of loneliness. Now, that's true of marriage as well, if, if we're honest. You can be married 
and bitterly lonely because you're in a marriage that, is, that lacks intimacy and friendship and connection. But there is probably a higher risk of loneliness for the single person. There is um, uh, the loss of potentially having children. If you're in Sydney, the, the cost of housing means that as a single person on a single income, you're probably squeezed out of the housing market. So sure, there are blessings. There are blessings that come with being single that Paul lists here. The blessings of being free to pursue the opportunities that God puts before you in a way that a married person may not be able to. But there are also particular challenges that are unique to singleness. There are challenges and blessings that are unique to marriage. But I want to suggest that it's not helpful for us to paint this overly romantic view of marriage or as Sam Aubrey, a UK pastor and single man says, to compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. It's not a helpful thing for us to do. What we need to say is that both singleness and marriage are gifts from God as a circumstance of life and both of those things have unique blessings and challenges, both of them together. The church ought to be a community where both singles and marrieds are celebrated. We ought to be a community where single people are accepted and valued and celebrated and feel like they have an important part to play in the life of our church. The church isn't simply just set up for families or for people with children. And so what do you do if... All of that is true, and yet maybe there's a gap between what your head knows to be true and how your heart feels. Or maybe your heart swings between contentment and bitterness. Or or maybe, actually for you, you're trusting God, and you know that He's got a, a good plan, and you're kind of enjoying being single in moments, but you're also kind of lonely in other moments. What do you do? How do you, how do you live like that? Well, I want to say that that experience that I've just described is okay, in case people were suggesting to you that it's not okay as a single person to experience those feelings. That faith doesn't necessarily eradicate the presence of loneliness. We've been created for relationships. We've been created for community. Simply because you have faith in Jesus doesn't mean that you won't experience loneliness. Now, I don't think having a desire to be married as a single person is contrary to pursuing contentment in your life. So how do you live now when you don't really know what the future is going to hold? We don't really know if God's going to bring you someone, when you don't really know if you'll get married or not, how do you live knowing that potentially for you there is loss and grief and pain and delay? Well, I want to suggest thinking about the immediate future may not be the solution, but thinking about the long-term future is. That as we think about the type of future that God has for us in the age to come, The realities of the kingdom of God transcend our earthly circumstances. And what I want to do this morning is jump back to Isaiah 56 to model the transcendent reality of God's kingdom promises for earthly circumstance. So let's go to Isaiah 56 verse 3. 
Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now the eunuch is a person who either by choice or by force was a for the most part, a male who had been emasculated to serve in the women's quarters for the king. And eunuchs had no place amongst the people of God. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that if you're a single person this morning, you're like a eunuch and you're on the outside of God's people. That is not what I'm saying categorically. I'm not communicating that, please. But what I'm trying to What I'm trying to do here is use this as an illustration of kingdom realities that transform earthly circumstance. Do you see the promises that are here for the eunuch, for the foreigner? You see, in a culture where family and inheritance was your security, children were your superannuation. In a culture where Your children, the name of your firstborn son, carried the honor of your family line. In a culture where the inheritance was tied to your family name, the eunuch, and additionally, in a culture that all of those things of family and children were seen as signs of God's blessing, the eunuch lacks all of that. The eunuch has no kids, no security, no inheritance, and supposedly no blessing. And yet, you see what God says? Do you see the promises that he has made in verse 5? I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. There is a kingdom reality that is far more significant than the earthly circumstance. God will give the eunuch a monument. They will be celebrated in the kingdom. He gives them something better than the earthly lineage of sons to carry your name on. He gives you the inheritance of the kingdom. Now that's true of everyone in Christ, not just single people. If you're married, then you need to focus on those realities as well and not find your intimacy, identity, and purpose and significance in your spouse because if you do, you will crush them and they will let you down. Your, house, your spouse is a horrible God. God is the only God who can truly satisfy. Every single one of us, if you are in Christ, the realities of the kingdom are yours And I want to suggest the way that we live now in this life that is full of pain and disappointment and loneliness is to focus on the age to come, to remember what lies ahead, the promises that God has for us in his kingdom. Additionally, it's important for us to remember that that reality is a single reality. Marriage is a gift for this life only. The age to come We will be single. And so whatever your earthly circumstance is, maybe it's a loss of not being married, maybe it's the the grief of not being able to have children, maybe it's a lack of financial security, maybe it's not getting into the Sydney housing market, whatever it is, single or married, 
Our primary reality is not what our eyes see and our hands touch, but what we grasp by faith. That the promises of the kingdom are ours. Jesus is our true, deepest satisfaction. He says, I am the bread of life. All who come to me are satisfied. Relationship with Jesus is what brings ultimate intimacy. He gives us the type of intimacy and relationship that no spouse can give. Jesus is our new family our older brother, and as he adopts us into God's family, we become brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of God. And his promises that we will receive in this life and in the age to come a hundred times mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and with good measure persecution as well. But that's the promise now and then of what it means to be Adopted by Jesus, and we have an inheritance, a hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven. Now, that's not to say that that's easy to do. It's not easy, it's hard, it's difficult, but that's what faith is. That's what it means for us to be God's people as we wrestle with life in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, but in particular if that's singleness, to cling to the eternal promises of God over the temporal. And so how can we as a church that's full of people of all sorts of scenarios and circumstances in life be the type of community that God wants us to be? How can we embody this truth together? There's a couple of things I want to suggest. The first is to recognize that singleness points us to our future, all of us, and the gospel in a unique way that marriage doesn't. Singleness points all of us to our future and the gospel in a way that marriage doesn't. If you are single, you're an you're an embodiment of the truths of the gospel. I don't know if you realize that. If you are single, you're an embodiment of the truths of the gospel. Sam Albury says, of the different ways that singleness and marriage illustrate the gospel and the relationship between Jesus and the church, he says this, if marriage shows us the shape of the reality, that is, the union between husband and wife, is a picture of the union between Christ and his church. If marriage shows us the shape of the reality, singleness shows us the sufficiency of it, that Jesus is enough, that he is sufficient, that our hope is not in a spouse, that our hope is not in a family. If marriage shows us the shape of the reality, singleness shows us the sufficiency of it. As a single person, you point the married people in this church to the sufficiency of relationship with God in a way that a married person can't. And likewise, as a married person, you demonstrate by your union the gospel in a way that a single person can't. God doesn't put a moral value Or pit those two things against each other. He says both of them are good. Both need to be celebrated. 
A number of months ago, uh, I traveled to the UK for the Alpha Global Leadership Conference. And while I was there, I got to meet a bunch of Catholic priests. Some of those guys were from Australia. And I got chatting to these guys about their vows. I don't know if you realize this, but Catholic priests make three vows. A vow of poverty. They have no personal possessions, no personal bank account. A vow of obedience to their seniors and their bishop and the vow of chastity, which is the one that we all know about, the one we hear about, the vow of singleness, a vow of chastity. And in my ignorance, I just thought that that was probably just a bit of a recruiting problem for the Catholic Church. Like, how do you get people to do this if this is so hard to get into? And I missed the power and significance of it. Because as I got chatting to these guys, in particular, a father from Melbourne And as he was sharing for me what it meant for him to make this vow, I understood the power of this vow. That in a a world that is obsessed with sexualized coupledom, with an overly romanticized view of marriage, the Catholic priest is screaming that hope for the Christian is not found in marriage. Hope for the Christian is not found in a partner. Hope for, mar- hope for the Christian is not found in family. It's found ultimately in Jesus. In fact, Father Michael Nixon said, when a married couple see me as a Catholic priest, they should see my celibacy is pointing them towards their ultimate destiny. I get to be that sign for people. I'd, I just hadn't understood that until I had a conversation Both married people and single people point to the reality of the gospel in different ways. Now, if we're honest, we often talk about how marriage does that and very rarely talk about how singleness does that. And I think we need to do a better job, and part of that's on me as a preacher. So I think we need to recognize that singleness points us to the gospel in a different way. The second thing that we need to do is be the type of church that God calls us to be. At Anchor, we're a family. We say that a lot. We talk about being a family, and we need to make that theological reality a practical reality in the life of our church. How do we do that? Well, it doesn't mean that we just clump together in our demographics and don't talk to other people. One of the examples that James gave me was at the, the, um, the picnics in the park after church. For the most part, um, James has observed that that is mostly single people that turn up, and the married people don't come. Now, if you're a married person and you come to that, you're making a statement that you're investing in community and the people there are important and single people feel valued by that. The other story that I love of a a way that we've done this as a church, and I'm not saying we've done this perfectly, I think there's room to grow, but the other way is a story of Matt and Mel Sharp. Matt and Mel um, have... One child, his name's Ollie or Oliver. He was dedicated uh, not that long ago. And when, when Matt and Mel were thinking about what godparents to select for Oliver, they didn't just simply think about their married friends. They asked Mike Roberts to be Ollie's godfather. Now, why did they do that? Well, I asked them that week, this week why they did that, and they sent me this long, beautiful essay about how Mike is a Christian man, and as a Christian, he's a good role model for Ollie. As a guy, he's a good role model for Ollie. But the thing that I love about it is that Matt and Mel didn't simply scratch Mike from their options because he was single. They're affirming that Mike has an important role to play in that. The reality is that most couples don't even consider single people to be godparents for their child. Why? Why? 
Because sometimes we operate with an unwitting preference for other married people. That's a reality sometimes. And I've, I have to confess that sometimes I do that myself. And so as a church, we, we can grow in this area. And all it takes is a conversation and seeking to understand and to ask some questions, to show some empathy, and to try and put yourself in the shoes of the other. That's um, part of the reason why our GCs, our gospel communities, aren't demographic-based. They're geographic-based for the most part. Our GC has single people, married people with no children, married people with children, and grandparents, all in the one group. It's amazing, and it does feel like family. Now, I'm not suggesting that that, that group experience is going to be wonderful all the time for the single person or wonderful all the time for the person who's walked through a divorce. Community is messy. Family is messy. But I think we need to grow. The final thing I want to say is how do you live well? As a single person, how do you steward your singleness to the glory of God? A couple of quick things. The cultural narrative of our world, you know, the 40-year-old virgin version of that story or, you know, the bachelor, bachelorette version that if you are single, there's something wrong with you, right? Your happiness, your fulfillment is found in a version of sexualized coupledom that this person will meet all of your intimate needs, right? That is the world we live in. And that world says it's okay to be single and divorced. It's okay to be single and widowed. It's okay to be single and promiscuous. It's just not okay to be single and celibate and abstinent. That's, if that's you, then there is something wrong with you. That is the message that our world says. And we want to categorically deny that this morning. That Jesus, that Paul says the exact opposite. I mean, Jesus was single and a virgin and the most satisfied, complete person who ever walked the face of the planet. This cultural obsession with sexualized coupledom is, is not the only legitimate version of intimacy that we have today. There is nothing wrong with you if you're single. You, God is still working in your life. You are valuable to God and to this church as much as the married person is. Now I acknowledge that for some of you there is pain and grief and loss in this. And Hope's going to address some of those in the questions that have come up in a moment. But I want to say that that pain is not an indication of a lack of faith. I also want to say a thank you to those who have been faithfully waiting, who have chosen not to compromise, who have chosen to remain obedient to God's word, who have not engaged in the hookup culture that is around us, have chosen not to believe the bachelor version of reality. Thank you for your stewarding of your faithfulness. That's an example to us. Those of you who make the daily costly obedience to follow Jesus and to be obedient to him, in this area, you, you are the heroes of our church. Thank you for your example. Continue to do that. Singleness is not purgatory. And equally, marriage is not heaven. And the sooner we stop believing those two things, the better for all of us. Singleness is not purgatory and marriage is not heaven. Both of these can be and ought to be seasons that God has blessed us with as a gift if we walk by the Spirit, clinging to His eternal promises.
That's our prayer. That's our hope that we would all do that, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in as a church. And so we're going to try and tackle some answers to the questions that you've sent in. Now I'm going to invite James and Hope to join me on stage. And thank you for your questions that have been coming in via the, um, the, the prayer phone and via social media. We really appreciate them. And uh, I think James is just going to fire some questions at us now and we'll do our best to answer them. Great. So we've got some questions that uh, have come in throughout the week and also um, this morning. And as Matt said, these guys are going to do their best to answer them. Um, And I'm going to be on my phone a little bit trying to filter through these. So please, yeah, don't be distracted by me. I'm not texting or Facebooking. I'm just trying to find these questions. So... um, Hope we might start with you. Uh, I'm just going to read these questions just as they are. And uh, the question is, or the person has said, I know the reality. I hear that singleness is good, but I don't feel it. What do I do with my grief and loss? Yeah, thanks for that question. And I I think I want to acknowledge at the start that uh, singleness is really hard and there is a really strong sense of grief associated with that. I I know that I'm familiar with that. And I think for me personally, part of the grief I've had is not knowing if I'll ever be a mother. And (laughs) that's the grief there, right? Mm. Um, And just even my family, like at the moment, my sister and my two sisters-in-law, they're all pregnant. And it's just, that's a great joy for me, but it's also a sense of like, will that ever happen for me? I don't know. I love being an auntie. But it's not the same as having your own children. And with me, with with my grief, what I've been doing, and I think this is the right thing to do, is is going to God with it. And just going to him and and telling him of all my disappointment, um, of all my sadness. uh, And I think if we have any experience of grief or pain or sadness in this life, whatever it is, that what we've got to do is go to God with it because he is our comfort and he is close to us. He loves us. He cares for us. uh, And there's great relief and joy in doing that. Uh, I think also as we try and think of singleness as being a good gift, we need to um, thank God for the gift and um, meditate on the goodness of it. Uh, yeah, I think, have I answered the question? Uh, maybe just picking up on uh, your last thought about kind of meditating on the goodness of the gift. Um, another question that we got, which is kind of ties in nicely there. So what are the benefits to being single? Yeah, I think when uh, Paul talks about singleness, he he picks up on the fact that when you're single, you have this unique opportunity to be devoted to God in a way that married people can't. Um, and I think of, you know, just having time and energy and mobility to serve God um, in a way that married people can't. Even in my own life, I've, I'm really thankful, you know, in the last five years, I've had the opportunity to travel to the U.S. and train with churches in the U.S., both for three months at a time. And I could do that because I was single. I could just pick up you know, go over there. I could have done it if I was married and had kids, but it would be a lot harder. Um, So I think that's a huge gift. Uh, And also, you know, being available for friendship, perhaps in a way that married people can't, just 
having time and energy um, for friends or more, you know, more broadly for friendship. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so a question that's come in, uh, I guess, about God and why he gives us certain desires. So why does God give us the desire for marriage, uh, it being a good gift, when the reality is some of us will never be married? Either of you can answer that one. You go ahead. Okay. Uh, I'll just do them all. No, um, yeah. God, it's, we're made for relationship. And it's, we're made, you know, with that desire for intimacy. It's a good thing. Um, and maybe to answer the question, I want to share again from my personal experience. But, um, you know, I've had that desire to be married um, for a long time. And in my early 20s and uh, mid-20s, you know, I really wanted to get married. And I think at that time, I really thought that getting married would solve all my problems. Um, that a husband would give me this some sort of security or direction, you know, love, um, in a way that I hungered for, and in God withholding that from me, he did an amazing thing of uh, teaching me more about my gospel identity, because I think I was looking for marriage to give me a sense of identity, Uh, and he showed me in that um, season that it's Jesus who is my husband, Uh, and life is ultimately not about finding, like, being dependent on an earthly husband, although that's a good thing, but it's about being dependent on your heavenly husband, on Jesus Christ. And I know that learning that lesson um, will make me a better spouse if I one day get married. So I think what I'm saying is um, God really wants to grow us. He really wants to give us himself uh, more than anything else. He knows what's best for us. I'm constantly telling myself, God knows what's best for you, Hope. Um, If he chooses to withhold this good gift, uh, he knows what he's doing and he wants to give you himself. Um, Have I answered the question again? (laughs) Yeah, and I think... I'm losing my train of thought. Can I just add to that? I think that um, sometimes we've equated too much weight on desire. And so that if, if a desire is present for me, that means that I... Well, I... Clearly, God doesn't want me to be single. I don't have the gift of singleness because I've got a desire to be married. Um, and so the, um, maybe that's just a false assumption built into that, that, um, that idea, that because I have this desire, therefore, clearly, I'm not made out to be single. But I think um, my guess is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, would have liked to have been married with a family. He would have known um, all of the blessings that come with that and the blessings that come with singleness. Um, and, and so I, I also think that um, because that desire is there, that actually, that desire points us to the greater reality that we were created to know God and find that intimacy and friendship and those longings met in Him. Um, and so that's part of the reason why those desires exist, yeah. So, uh, staying kind of on that topic of desires, sorry, the screen turned off. How do we, dis- how do we discern um, sexual desire uh, and longing for marriage? And so I think this question is kind of asking, are they the same thing? So a desire um, for sexual expression and a desire for marriage. And how do we then encourage Christians to not rush into relationships and marriage 
uh, pursuing sexual desire as kind of the goal of that. Let me start, and then, and then hope you can maybe add something to this. In my reading this week, um, one author said that um, stereotypically, so I know this isn't true of everyone, but stereotypically, women are seeking for more emotional intimacy, and men are seeking for, for more physical intimacy. Um, and, uh, and again, that's a massive stereotype. Um, but the, thi- the types of things that people are looking for in that um, can sometimes be different. And so a desire for sexual intimacy and for marriage sometimes may be the same thing, but sometimes they may actually be very, very separate things. And I think one of the, um, one of the, the gifts of marriage is that you can have those two things met in the one person. So can you ask the question again? Because I got distracted and <laughs> lost my train of thought. Yeah. That's why Hope should be answering these. Yeah. yeah. So the question was, how do we discern sexual desire and longing for marriage? Are they the same thing? Um, and how do we encourage Christians to not rush into relationships and marriage pursuing sexual desire? Yes. So yeah, I think the answer is sometimes they can be the same things, but sometimes maybe not. It just depends. And I guess only you can really tell. Um, and I don't know, can you do the second part? How do you not rush into... Marriage fueled by sexual desire, is that, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, I don't know if I can answer this either, but, um, you know, we're called to be self-controlled in every area of our life. And, um, you know, as we date, as we, you know, pursue getting married, we really need to um, keep that front and centre of being self-controlled. We need, we need to do it in community. We need to have people around us um, that will help us, you know, understand what our priorities are, that who we can talk to, who we can um, discern if you know the person that we're dating is the right person to marry, if we're doing it for the right reasons. Do you want to add anything else? No. <laughs> I don't know. I forgot the question again. <laughs> I will add something. Um, I think I would just add that uh, I think as, as believers, it's important for us to be discerning, you know, if we have, if we have sexual desire and would like to get married, is that, a, is that a healthy, good desire that God's given us, or is it actually a lustful desire? Um, because, you know, as someone speaking as a married person, uh, not all sexual desire is necessarily loving, and mm. love and lust are not the same thing. And when you get married, it's not like, you know, your every desire is fulfilled by this person. Love is about giving, lust is about taking. Mm. Um, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying to whoever asked this question, I'm not making the assumption that the sexual desire is lust, but I guess I'm saying we need to be honest about what actually is that desire for? Is it, is it to give oneself to another person uh, out of love and commitment, or is it to be receiving something that we feel is going to be satisfying, you know, our, our earthly desires? Um, yeah. That's good. Um, another question. So Matt, just on the examples, some of the examples that are you used in the sermon. Mm. Um, so financial security and not being able to crack the Sydney housing market and wanting to have children are heartaches that single people may experience their whole lives. So how do we as a church support these single people that are suffering these heartaches um, that married people may not? Well, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> 
Yeah, I think um, it, it needs to be more than simply just um, we're, we're inviting single people to our house for a meal. Um, I think we need to pursue healthy friendships, and those friendships don't need, shouldn't necessarily be defined by whether or not the person is single or married. Um, and so I think we, we need good friendships between singles and marrieds that know each other, that understand those unique challenges and blessings. Um, <clears throat> and I think, you know, God gives us blessing in order to be a blessing to others. And so where a single person has a blessing that a married person doesn't, there's an opportunity to bless. And when a married person has a blessing that a single person doesn't, there's an opportunity to bless. And I guess we could do that in a thousand ways. Um, it could be financial generosity. It could be um, giving of our time. Um, I don't know. Do, do I need to be more practical? That just feels really vague in general. But um, it's hard to be practical because the way one person is loved and cared for is so different from the way another person is loved and cared for. So, at the risk of generalize, at the risk of being too general, I'm going to generalize. <laughs> um, I don't know if, if you guys have any other, anything else to add to that. You know, I've heard um, single people in our community, you know, think about particularly the housing thing and um, just creatively trying to brainstorm, like, like, what could this look like in the future? You know, could a bunch of single people maybe buy something together or with married people? So I think, yeah, maybe it looks like just together in creative ways brainstorming um, what's an option, like what resources we have, what we could do. Yeah. And I think, the, you know, like the example of um, the Sharps with Mike is a, is a good example of that. Um, that Mike has been included in their family life and has the opportunity to love Ollie as a godparent. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's a really beautiful example of how to do that. And I think that's, that's a blessing both ways. Yeah. Um. So another question has come in uh, asking that, um, so for those who are in a season of singleness uh, and wanting to use that season well, but at the same time uh, having a desire for marriage and, and want an openness to you know, potentially finding someone, how do you live that balance uh, between trusting God and being content, um, but also kind of being open? Is it, is it kind of, you know, can you only do one or the other at the one time? Or how do you, how do, you do both well? Yeah, it's a good question because I think we often feel that, you know, if I'm actively pursuing getting married, that means I'm not content um, with my singleness. And I don't think that's true. I think that, um, you know, in all areas of our lives, God calls us to take active steps and be trusting him at the same time with it. So I think if you're single and you want to get married, you can definitely be thinking through practical ways that you can, you know, meet people and work towards that. But ultimately, you know, um, with prayer, you're giving over to him and um, seeing what he will do, how he'll provide, and he may not. And so you're trusting him, you know, in that. I think also as you do that, as you take those practical steps, you know, still thinking through how can I use the gift of singleness really well right now? Um, praying and asking God, like, what opportunities do I have right now as a single person to serve you? Um, give me energy for that. Give me ability for that. And 
I think too it, it might mean like taking a look at ourselves. You know, I was rebuked this week because I listened to Peter Adams' sermon that he gave at City Light, uh, sorry, City on a Hill, sorry, Melbourne. And I think we're going to put that up as a resource to listen to. So I really encourage you to listen to his uh, sermon. But I felt rebuked. He talked about, you know, um, just checking like, are we, do we have the sin of maybe envy or jealousy or um, resentment? And so I think living well right now as, a, as we wait as a single is also just taking stock of that and um, repenting of, you know, if we have those sinful feelings and emotions in this state. Yeah. And I guess you can ask for it and not demand it from God. Say, God, this is a good gift. Can I have it? Without demanding that he give it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I've got two questions that have come in to do with um, ministry and leadership and singleness. So Matt, I'll, we'll hope you can answer these two. Um, whichever one of you, they're both a little bit curly. So here we go. Uh, how is the Protestant church, do we admit the lack of of single role models, say in comparison to the Catholic Church, like you referenced, Matt, mm. uh, which is full of them, should we be pushing to have more single people in ministry roles? Um, yeah, I think we should. Um, I think um, the Catholic Church's model is probably not... Um, uh, it's difficult to theologically arrive and say... Um, you need to be single to go into ministry. Um, the Protestant church's model has historically been, if you are single, you're off limits um, because somehow you're either dangerous or um, you're not whole. And I think both of those are unhelpful patterns. Um, and so I think where there are single people who are gifted and have a sense of call, um, they, they ought to be trained and unleashed for ministry. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that's true. Yeah. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Hope. I think it's just interesting that Paul says that one of the great benefits of being single is that you can have an undivided devotion to the Lord. So I think it makes sense that there would be lots of single people in ministry. Mm. Yeah. And uh, another question, which I think uh, overlaps in some ways, but specifically about the eldership series that we did uh, a few months ago, um, one of the characteristics that was focused on was a man leading his household and family mm. as a sign of his suitability. It seemed like being married with kids and leading them well was basically a requirement of an elder. So how do we reconcile this with singleness and marriage being equally both good choices biblically? Are single people disqualified from being elders mm. or holding senior leadership positions? Um, no, I don't think that's the criteria that Paul gives. Um, the principle that he lays before, the, before Timothy there is the principle of faithful with small and entrusted with much. And a single person can be faithful with small and be entrusted with much in the same way that a married person can. Um, the other reason it's difficult to say that is because both Jesus and Paul were single and are historically the most significant people in the history of the church. And so, um, singleness isn't ruled off for, for eldership. Um, and in fact, some people try and argue that it is, not based on that verse, but based on the verse that um, he must be the husband of one wife. Um, and so they say, therefore, he must be married. 
um, and marriage is part of the criteria, but you just cannot do justice to that passage and come, come out with that result. And so I think, um, no, I don't think, I don't think eldership requires people to be married at all. Great. Well, that's all the time that we have for questions this morning. I want to encourage you that if you had questions that weren't answered um, or even other questions that come up as, as you kind of think about this, uh, please, yeah, don't hesitate to bring those um, out. Yeah, we would love uh, as a staff team to, yeah, be having space for dialogue. Um, this isn't a theoretical topic that we are teaching just for the sake of kind of growing our Bible knowledge, but actually because this is real life and it affects people in our community and we want to know how to get better at living as a family that is diverse um, but has Jesus in common and is being shaped into the kind of church that he wants us to be. Um, so if you have any questions uh, that arise from today, please don't hesitate. I know all the staff would be more than happy to answer them. Um, yeah, and let's, let's get on with being the kind of church that Jesus wants us to be more and more by his grace. So why don't we thank these guys um, for their answers, and I'll hand back to Matt. Thank you, James. Thank you, Hope. Um, we're going to transition to response now. We're going to um, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And the Lord's Supper is a meal that reminds us of our unity in Christ together, that we're not included into the family of God on the basis of our relationship status, but on the basis of the blood of Jesus. And this is a meal of unity. And so I want to encourage you as you come forward, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then celebrate this meal together as a reminder of the oneness that God has made us family. The second way we're responding this morning is by prayer. Our prayer team will be up the back. They have orange lanyards around their neck, and they would love to pray for you this morning. Whatever needs you have, please pray for them. And finally, we will respond in our giving. If you're part of our anchor family and cash giving is your regular pattern and habit, thank you for that. The giving containers will come around. If you're a guest here this morning, please feel free to pop your Connect card and pencil inside that, but you are under no obligation to give whatsoever. Please don't feel compelled to do that. Otherwise, let's, um, let's stand together, church, and I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then the band will lead us together as we worship our Savior. Father God, we thank you this morning for what you've reminded us of, and I pray um, that in the, the brokenness of a world where we have unmet longings and unfulfilled desires and where we experience pain and loneliness, God, I pray that you would help us to cling to your promises. Help us to find our identity in Jesus. Help us not to believe the lies and narrative of a culture, but to believe your word. Father, I pray uh, particularly this morning for those wrestling with loss and loneliness that you would be present and real. Father, that you would show your all-surpassing sufficiency and worth. And I pray that as a church, you would help us to be the type of community that you want us to be. We need your grace. Guide us by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.